0: This week I did a quick search online to find some of the generally agreed upon ways that a baby changes his or her parents' lives. Here's a little bit of what I found. Number one, everything will take longer. You might as well count on at least an extra hour uh, of getting ready time, not necessarily for the baby, but for yourself to to be able to get yourself ready while simultaneously uh, taking care of your baby. Number two, your perspective on life is going to be different. Okay, Things you never thought of before will suddenly somehow become top priorities. Number three, you'll wonder what you used to do with all your time. Having a busy social calendar and having a busy baby-filled life are two entirely different things. Number four, uh, planning becomes key. It doesn't take long to realize that you can't count on just whipping something up. You're going to have to do a little advanced planning to accomplish certain tasks. Number five, you'll become more concerned about the future. Right? I mean, what this world is becoming is what we're going to be handing over to our children. Number six, your life will be more full. You gain something that you never knew was missing. Even though life gets busier and arguably more complicated, you wouldn't trade the joy that this baby brings into your life for anything. Number seven, your entertainment decisions will change drastically. You may have uh, enjoyed a good book or a movie on a weekly basis. Well, pretty soon, your favorite form of entertainment will be watching your baby do literally anything. Giggling, trying to talk, reaching, grabbing, rolling over, even sleeping. Watching your baby do any of these things is far more entertaining than any movie could ever be. Number eight, you will make decisions differently. Every decision you make, big or small, will at one point involve the question, how does this affect my child? And number nine, your heart will multiply in size. Uh, your pre-baby heart just isn't big enough for all the love that you're going to feel for your child. We keep saying it throughout this series of messages. A baby changes everything. Jesus entering into this world, born of a woman, becoming part of his own creation, changed Everything. In this Christmas sermon series, we've been looking at some of the major effects of Jesus' entrance into this world. Uh, we're not doing this with the details of Jesus' birth from Matthew or Luke, but instead we're looking at John's powerful introduction to Jesus found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. As so far, we've looked at how Jesus came as the light in human form. We saw how that light gives life. That light dispels darkness, and His coming into the world enlightens every man. Last week, we saw how Jesus made belonging to God possible. And we discussed how we have to know Jesus and receive Jesus in order to belong to God. We we saw how it is through Jesus that we are given the right to become sons and daughters of God. And of course, that entrance into God's family requires Being born of God, born of water and the Spirit. We talked about that last week. This week, we're looking at a big one, grace. Grace is receiving favor from God that that we just don't deserve. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. We know from the prophet Isaiah that our sin creates a separation between us and God. Unfortunately, we don't have the power or the ability ourselves to make right what we've made wrong, but God can. And thankfully, God did. God is perfectly righteous and just, and so there must be a penalty for sin. Thankfully, though, God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. God came to earth in the flesh and paid the penalty we deserve for our benefit. Now, if we'll accept the gift on his terms, he'll give us grace. And it's abundant grace. Praise God for the coming of his son, this baby who changed everything. Look at John chapter 1 verses 14 through 17 with me this morning. Uh, Now for the sake of context here, actually think back with me to John chapter 1 verse 1 first, which said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now picking up at verse 14, John writes, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth. Were realized through Jesus Christ. These are some of the most powerful words ever written about the profound impact that Jesus' life made on this earth. When we want to talk about the Christmas story through the lens of a baby changing everything, this passage of Scripture is absolutely awesome in every sense of the definition. Let's call verse 14 the story of glory and grace. Glory and grace. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John says, The Word, that is Jesus, of course, became flesh. Now, the wording here is critical. I want you to understand with confidence that this particular statement, as it was originally written in the Greek language, cannot be mistaken to support the terribly flawed theological position that says, Flesh became the Word. There are some out there who will say that Jesus was just a person who was born and eventually kind of evolved into the divine Messiah. In the Greek language, though, this sentence was clearly written as, the word became flesh. John doesn't use the article the with the word flesh, so it cannot say that the flesh became the word. It has to mean, it has to say, the word became Flesh. Now on the flip side of that, it's equally important that we understand that the Word did indeed become flesh. Some groups believe that Jesus didn't actually become flesh. They feel like he was just some sort of spirit being, that he, that he wasn't subject to fatigue and hunger or temptation, pain, sadness, you name it. They think all of that would make him a less than God. Some believe that flesh is inherently wicked, that it makes one inherently wicked. So, so they believe Jesus was not actually born as a living, breathing, blood-pumping human being. But the story of Christ's birth would say otherwise. Isaiah seven fourteen prophesied, said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And then it lays out all those details, of which verse 22 says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then guess which prophet is quoted and which prophecy? Well, it's a quote of Isaiah 7 14, right? Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The message from the angel recorded in Luke 2.11 said, There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Make no mistake about it. This was prophesied and it happened. God the Son, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, that word dwelt there, uh, dwelt carries purpose here. It means tabernacled or tented. He, He came to live with us. And through doing this, John writes, We saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was here living with His creation as His creation. The Word became flesh and was on full display, available for complete inspection. He was not some elusive spirit being. He tabernacled with us. And John says we saw His glory, specifically glory, as of the only begotten from the Father. Many scholars are sold on the opinion that John likely chose the word meaning tabernacled or tented because it was indeed like the presence of God dwelling with His people again. The phrase glory of God is typically a reference to the presence of God. God had shown his presence among his people in the tabernacle before and later the temple, but now God's presence was here among his people walking around in human flesh. He came and tabernacled with us. And what does John say he was full of? Grace and truth. In Exodus 34 verse 6, God describes himself this way, compassionate, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. You see, God is love and light. He is redemption and revelation. He is grace and truth. Within God's character, there's this abounding desire to care and provide and forgive, perfectly complemented by perfect objective truth. God is compassionate and logical, we might say. And Jesus was all of this wrapped up in a walking, talking human body. Jesus left us an example. We're not going to do this perfectly ourselves, but it should be our goal to strike this kind of complementary balance. Grace wasn't just letting everyone do whatever they wanted without any regard for reality. Grace must be complemented with truth We have a tendency to separate the two and to lean heavily toward one side or the other, letting everything slide and just calling it grace. Or others are a little more hard-charging and just want to shout the truth at people without any patience or grace. Grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. There's plenty that we can learn from the story of glory and grace here in verse 14. Now, verses 15 and 16 give us another valuable story, the story of rank and grace. Rank and grace. John 1 verse 15 said, John testified about him. This is talking about John the Baptist. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. This verse, when you come to it, it almost feels a little out of place maybe or or unnecessary, but I can assure you if John the Immerser had anything to say about it, he, he would have certainly had required this verse to be published. right? He he would make sure that this was said about him because John the Immerser was open and very vocal about his specific and limited role in the kingdom. He made sure that people knew he was not the Christ. He made sure people knew he was a messenger, he was a, a path preparer. He made sure that people understood that he must decrease and Christ must increase. This shift was something John insisted was necessary and right. And so John is quoted here in verse 15 saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Remember verse 1 said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John was right. Even though he was born six months before Jesus uh, here on earth, Jesus existed before John. He was in the beginning with God. And so that settles the rank discussion. Who ranks higher? Well, Jesus is the eternal son of God. Now look at verse 16. Here's your reason for John the Apostle sharing this quote in verse 15 from John the Immerser. After we hear John the Immerser explaining Jesus' higher ranking because of his eternal existence, the Apostle John writes these words For all of his fullness, or for of his fullness we have all received. You hear that? For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. It's as if to say, even John the Immerser received of his fullness. No one is more significant than Jesus. Even John was in need of what Jesus came to offer. In Luke 7, 28, Jesus said, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Even the one who Jesus considered to be the greatest human being ever born needed Jesus, needed and received blessing from Jesus, including abundant grace. Now, there are some lessons that we can learn from John here. Uh, John was able to reach a pretty large audience, it seems. Mark one five says all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. But remember, John didn't promote himself, unlike some have a tendency to do. John recognized that it was all about Jesus. Some might say that John wasn't the most grace-filled preacher, but I would probably disagree with that. John believed the message he was preaching. He cared enough about people to preach the truth clearly to them, and he made it all about Jesus, the one who was coming to make grace available to those who would repent and follow him. When Jesus's true rank is understood and believed, it ought to come out in our lives by sharing with others the story of grace coming through jesus we ought to be out calling others to repentance like john calling others to repentance to recognize jesus's ranking and to receive his grace because that is grace-filled preaching now as we come to verse 17 we'll call this a story of realized grace realized grace Grace and truth existed before Jesus was born into this world as a baby. But all the teaching and the doctrine concerning grace and truth culminated with Jesus. John writes there in verse 17: For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Moses gave the law. What did it do? Well, it condemned men. But it wasn't bad. In fact, it was good for men to recognize their sin. Second half of Romans 3.20 says, For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's good for men to be aware of their sin and to understand the consequences. However, those consequences are awfully bad. The law said, do this and live. The problem is no one ever could. But guess what? A baby changed all that. As the angel said, there's been born for us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. This phrase that's been translated here as were realized means to cause to be, to generate, to become, to bring to pass, to be found, to be fulfilled, to come into existence, and so on. There's a bit of variety uh, there, but in this context, it seems pretty clear that Jesus brought grace to the world. Oh, how a baby changes everything. When men were living under the law, under the old covenant, they were aware of their sin, the, the penalty for that sin, and their need for forgiveness. They had to trust in God's Deliverer who would come and take away the sins of the world. They had to trust that God would indeed make good on His promise and send this one into the world. Well, guess what He did, of course. And the angel told Joseph in Matthew 1.21, "...you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins." Jesus would come for that purpose, to seek and to save the lost, to live and die so that grace could be realized in our lives today. For all the people under the old covenant who put their trust in him even before he was here, grace was realized. It was realized in their life because Jesus did come, die for sin, and raise up from death. Today, because Jesus came, died for sin, and rose from death, grace can be made real in the lives of all of us today who will trust in him as that Savior whom God sent to take away the sins of the world. A baby truly changes everything. If Jesus had never come, every generation who ever lived would be hopeless still today. We would all just be standing eternally guilty and condemned. But because God the Son was born into this world as a fellow human being, grace can be realized in our lives. The most obvious way that that grace is realized in our lives is when we obey the gospel and receive the greatest form of grace imaginable, salvation, forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life. But church, there's another lesson Here for us. Jesus came and lived out grace as an example for us. We got to see what it looks like in the real world, in a walking, talking human being who's full of grace and truth. Remember the the apostle John said, we saw his glory. They witnessed his presence, the very presence of God in bodily form. We can witness his life through the written word, and that written word tells us that we are to go do what we've seen him do. We are to forgive because we've been forgiven. We are to love because he loved us. We are to provide for others because he provided for us. Church, let's go out and be drastically different from the rest of the world. Let's go show grace to the world around us. Grace should be realized through us. As we close, let me encourage you to to learn from the story of glory and grace. We are privileged to be able to to behold the glory of God being lived out in a human life. We should strive to live out that complementary balance that we see in Jesus, full of grace and truth. I want to encourage you also to learn from the story of rank and grace. Let's proclaim the message of Christ bringing the much needed grace of God to this world. And let's do it like John. Don't make it about ourselves. Let's let's show others that Jesus holds a higher rank, the highest rank, and they should follow him to receive grace from God. And I want to encourage you to learn from the story of realized grace. Let's not only preach that grace can be received from God because Jesus came to earth to make it possible. Let's also Show grace to the world. Let's be people who make a noticeable impact because we give grace to others. I want to thank you for listening to this message. And if you have questions about how to become a Christian, how to be saved, how to have a reconciled relationship with God, I want to encourage you to go to our church website, liberty-christian.com. liberty-christian.com. Christian.com. And in the menu section there, uh, click on the good news and you will have the good news laid out for you in an easy to read format. You can read it there in a text format. You can check it out there in a video format. You can check it out there in a slideshow format. But it's all just the basics, things that God says are life and death. Believe this and live. Do this and be saved. Don't do this and be condemned. Those kinds of things, those things that God makes abundantly clear in his word are necessities, are things that we have to do before we are considered saved in his mind. Those things are laid out for you right there on that page. And if after going through all that, you have further questions, I encourage you to reach out to us and we will give you Bible answers. You can also go to Facebook, Jake Brown Ministry. Reach out to me there with your your Bible questions, your questions about uh, salvation or or anything else. I'm happy uh, to try to help you in your journey.